Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. Good morning. How many of you guys have tried that last week? Did anybody? It works. People just look at you like, what are you doing? I'm looking at the clouds. What are you looking at the clouds for? <laughs> My Jesus is coming. Yeah. And I, I, you know, as much as I'm excited for this morning's message, I'm more excited and I just need to let you know Jesus is coming soon, any minute now. So we might not even finish the message this morning. Um, I believe in my heart. You look at the signs of the times. You look at what the Bible has prophesied. You look at the news, and uh, it's, we need to get busy being about our Father's business. And one of the things I know that's so important is that we are in His Word, that we know His Word. And people come to me all the time, and they want to ask me, do you think what's going on in the world today, is that what the Bible was talking about? It's like, well, read the Bible, know the Bible, and then start comparing what you're seeing in God's Word to what you're seeing in the world and come to your own conclusions. I don't want you to believe this because I believe it. You need to believe it because you have heard it from God himself. But knowing that, we want to be people of his word and we want to be ready, okay? Uh, I'm going to open up here in 1 Timothy, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy in chapter 1, verse 8, uh, kind of a preface to where we're going this morning. I will be in Genesis chapter 25 if you want to put a thumb in that chapter. But in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, we read, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Are, are you following what Paul is writing to Timothy? He's passing it on to the next generation. Paul, the mentor of Timothy, his disciple, who would go on and take the next leg of the journey, he'd pass the baton. He says, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord that we might walk in that calling by which we are called. Okay, He saved us. It's His work and called us with a holy calling. It's, it's just for you. It's a personal invitation. Come, follow me. He says, according to His own purpose and grace. So He's the one that begins it and He's the one that gets her done. He empowers it, which was given to us in Jesus Christ before time began. Now, if you read that the way that I read that, that tells me that I am a child of God, chosen by God, elect, predestined. He foreknew me, and He is working in me that work which will fit me for heaven, that I will be uh, eternally with Him in heaven. And I'm, I'm on that journey, and this started before God ever spoke the words, let there be light. That means before God ever said, let there be light, God said, let there be Nick. Right? <laughs> God said, let there be Mike. That's powerful when you 
riddle that all out. Well, with that as a preface, let's jump over to Genesis chapter 25. We're at verse 19. We've been going through the life of Abraham as told through the genealogy of Terah and Terah's son Abraham and Abraham's son Isaac. The, the Greek, or not the Greek, the Hebrew word is toledot. I keep bringing that up just so you understand the structure of Genesis. And we've gone through now seven different of these stories. And uh, we finished last week with the, the story, the genealogy, the history of Ishmael. And today we pick at verse 19, toledot number eight. This is the genealogy of Isaac. Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. Now, we've been in the book of Genesis since last summer. It's been a while, and we're not going to be out of it this morning yet. We've got a couple more weeks at least before we get done. But if you're one of those people that just can't wait, you're a microwave Christian, and you need to have it all in one place right now, you can go to Matthew chapter 1 in verse 2 and 3. You can read the whole, everything I'm going to tell you right here. It says, and this, this is the book of the genealogy, the history, what followed after Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It says, Abraham begot Isaac. That's what we've been reading. We just finished that up. Okay, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers, and Judah begot Perez. There you go. That's the book of Genesis. It's all there. But obviously... Besides the big picture that this is his story, there's all the details of his story. And so we're going to go through more of those details this morning, beginning with the genealogy, it says, of Isaac, what followed after Isaac. And so you're going to see in the balance of this chapter and in chapter 26, we're going to be talking about Isaac, Abraham's son, the heir to the promises of God through whom the line of Jesus Christ would come in chapter 25 and 26. And then we're going to get on with Isaac's sons, Esau and Jacob. And that will fill up the next basically 10 chapters, verses uh, 25, 19 here to the end of 35, 29. And that will be the genealogy of Isaac. But right here we're at the beginning, Abraham begot Isaac, verse 20. So, Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, his wife. That's what we read about last week, right? That Abraham sent his servant to get a bride for his son Isaac. A picture of God the Father sending the Holy Spirit, his servant, to get a bride for his son, Jesus Christ. The bride being you and I, the church of Jesus Christ, okay? So, Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, his wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padamaram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. We'll see more of Laban later. Don't worry about him. He'll, be up, he'll come up again. Okay? Verse 21. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. I just want to talk about that for a couple minutes here because... It's something that's come up in my life frequently over the last handful of months. I've dealt with so many people in so many situations where they're praying over having a child, the events that are entailed with having a child, difficulty conceiving, 
or infertility or a difficult pregnancy or a difficult delivery. All these things have been happening. <laughs> and I'm talking to people. I'm on the phone. I'm going. I'm praying. I'm visiting. with. It, it just keeps coming up. Miscarriages. Heartbreaking. Shattering. Birth defects. And when all is said and done, they do come to term and they're born and different personalities. We were to dinner with a couple of our friends last night talking about how different each of the kids came out. <laughs> right? After all that, you pray and you pray and you pray for a boy, you pray for a girl, you pray for the child. And, you know, it's funny how we put our hopes and aspirations into our kids. I didn't, ma I didn't letter in football, but maybe my kid will. Come on, let, you know, let's get out and play, play football, you know, throw the ball around. And, and we do these things. We, we project ourselves onto our kids. Even before they're born, we have hopes and dreams of someday being a daddy or a mommy and what it'll be like. And then the stark reality is it's probably not like what you thought it was going to be. <laughs> Nevertheless, however you slice it, dice it, and deal with it, and it's real. I'm talking about things that are probably the pinnacle of joy in this world or just some of the depths of darkness and heartache in this world are children, our children. And we see Isaac here doing just the best thing. He prays. We need to be bathing our kids in prayer. We need to be bathing our neighbors' kids in prayer. We need to be bathing all children in prayer. In this day and age that we live in, the odds of a child coming into this world, it's, it's a gauntlet, and it's getting harder and harder all the time. Something happened just this last Monday, which was uh, pretty interesting up in Boise. The... Uh, Senate put forward a bill, SB 1309, and it was voted on and ratified by the House and sent to Governor Little's de desk, and it is a uh, six-week ban on abortion, which is to say the state of Idaho has now joined Texas, the only other state, to ban any abortion after six weeks. We know, yeah. We know there's a heartbeat at 23 days, but at six weeks, you know, and, and I, the logic I heard along this lines is like, isn't six weeks long enough for you to decide? This is, this is a non-Christian thing, so don't, don't judge me on this, but can't you decide in six weeks whether or not you want to be a mom or not or a dad? And I will say this, it is both, it takes two to tangle. It's not just a woman issue. And they want to paint it that way, but trust me, abortion kills more than women. It kills men too, okay? And there's so much, again, heartache that goes in this. Now the bill is sitting on Governor Little's desk, and it's waiting for him to sign it, okay? And if he does not sign it, but doesn't veto it, it will go into effect in 30 days. And so it's making waves all across America, right? We've joined Texas now with this. this it's, it's, a, it's a unique bill, and it's going to be up against every kind of legal challenge and every attack that you can imagine under the sun, okay? 
and and it's it's just it's game on really, um, but it's kind of interesting. In the very same week that this was going on last week, uh, Oregon came out, and their house or their their legislature passed the Reproductive Equity Act, which was actually a countermeasure to. SB 1309. It was one state versus another state, and they and uh, they passed 15 million dollars for what they call um, funding for abortion and travel-related expenses. And the point is, and they want everybody in Idaho to know, Oregon's open for abortion. You need to come across the border. We'll pay your ticket. Come on over. Same week. Last week, Governor Jay Inslee of Washington State basically made the same declaration that Washington is open, and in their statement, he said, we will protect Idaho residents' right to reproductive health care. So, game is on, team, okay? And, and you're going to see more of this before anything goes away. Um, in fact, I read an article on the um, Times News on the front page this week at a grocery store that um, Planned Parenthood in Twin Falls, there's only four facilities in, in Idaho. One of them is in Twin Falls. They said, we're still open for business. We still, we can't do, at least temporarily, when, and when this goes into effect, it technically doesn't go into effect until 30 days after it's signed, okay? So it's not in effect as a moment but they're preparing for it. But we're open for business, and we'll still be servicing all kinds of reproductive health and gender issues. And so this is going on in our community, and, and the battle lines have been drawn. And I, again, I just want to bring back, it's not just a male issue or a female issue, right? It's, it's funny how they want to term it, well, it's a woman's right to choose. Well, what if that baby is not a female. <laughs> Where is that right, right? It, 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 it is not that. And uh, this is Mike. Please forgive me just a moment. I'll get slightly snarky. But how is it that it's a women's right to choose, but then when they get in a swimming pool, all bets are off and they have no rights to compete against other women? You following me? It's not, this, this world is not making sense anymore. That should not surprise any of us. Clouds, I can't keep my eyes off those clouds in the sky because I know it won't be so long, right? These are the signs of the time. We should be excited when you see these things begin to happen. Jesus says, look up, lift up your head because your redemption draws nigh, okay? So, now, I want to say in all of this, and every time I bring up this subject or this issue, I know I'm touching a very personal and private place in many people's hearts and the, the things that have gone on in their life. There is no sin that God can't forgive. He says, come, let us reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, I'll make them white as snow. If you'll just confess your sin. I will forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And 
again, this is a place we need to go to God and receive forgiveness and healing. And you know, there's, there's many other factors that play into this praying for our kids. Cheryl and I were involved in adoption in the Philippines. Saw a hundred kids that otherwise not, would not have lived get lives, get families, a hundred of them around the world, adoption. And even Calvary Chapel of Emmett, I don't know if you're familiar with them, but uh, they have a huge ministry to foster care. If you're ever interested in foster care, let me know. I'll put you in touch with Calvary Chapel Emmett. And this is what they do. They facilitate these things so that these children have a chance to grow up and to know Jesus Christ and, 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 and all of that. You know, they're going to go to heaven. There is, there is that note that any child, right, that's conceived, whether they come to term or not, God blesses those children. We'll see them all in heaven. So if there's been a child that, you know, is not with you, whether they came to term and then maybe passed before you or even not, we're going to see all those kids in heaven. And there, there's hope in that. But, and, but I just want to try to bring this up because I think it's so important. It's a big issue for the days. So here we are. Uh, Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And I just want to make another note on this. You know, people under, wonder, you know, was it what, the six-month ban or a six-week ban? You know, some people are like, I want absolutely no abortion whatsoever, period, anything at all. It's like we are working on a battlefield where we're trying to take ground one piece at a time. Just know this, we are not going to win any of these battles in the legislature, in the court. It's one in the hearts. It's, it's one when people come to know Jesus Christ and the joy of life and the gift of life and the hope and the promises of God. That's when things are turned around. But here it says, Rebecca conceived. I like what we read in Psalm 139. I'll read just a couple of verses, 13 through uh, 16. Psalm 139. Oops. Place marker. At verse 13, uh, David, the psalmist, writes, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. As Paul said to Timothy before time began, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. I just love that. And, and, and I like one of the things in this is really kind of cool to me. It says in verse 13, For you formed me in my inward parts, you covered me. Literally, that translated out of the Hebrew means you wove me or you knit me. And if you know a little bit about weaving and how that works, there is on a loom, a big structure, a lot of strings. You could say they're vertical strings, thousands of them. Those are known as the warp. And then there is a thread. It can be one thread that goes from left to right on a shuttle, back and forth, back and forth. And that one thread, it's called the weft or the woof, 
ties all of the warp together. And what we see in God's Word is that history is strung on a loom of warped mankind woven together by the thread of redemption, Jesus Christ. And that's what we're doing here in the book of Genesis. We're following that thread that began back in the garden. And God says, I'm going to tie this all together. And I'm going to make one full person out of you, out of me, out of mankind. I'm going to redeem it all. And so we're looking at some of the warp, warp and some of the woof in all these things that, that we're going to go through here. So, Rebecca's wife conceived. Hallelujah. But the children struggled together with her, and she said, If all is well with me, why am I like this? And, and you, this is a difficult pregnancy she's going through. So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. I can imagine. Oy vey. We prayed. And just so that you know, they prayed for 20 years, just, just to kind of put the pieces together. Since uh, Abraham sent his servant, got Rebekah, brought him back. They got married. They went into Sarah's tent, and they lived on. 20 years they've been praying for a child, right? So here they are, and now they get the news, you know, she's going to be pregnant. Woo! And then all of a sudden, the pregnancy is like, what is going on here? And they pray again. Now it's her turn to pray, right? And she's praying. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. <laughs> all I wanted was a baby. Two nations? <laughs> no wonder I feel so weird, right? Two nations, or goi is the word there, goim, which is the word which we get in the New Testament. It's tra translated ethnos or ethnicities, okay? So two different distinct people groups are coming out of you, okay? They're really different. It says, two nations are in your womb, two people shall be separated from your body, one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. And so this is the word of God. It's a word of prophecy. He's speaking it to Rebekah, much as he spoke to Sarah about Isaac, and you'll name his, call his name laughter, Isaac, much as he spoke to Mary and says, and you'll call his name Jesus. God is predicting what's going to happen with this birth, okay? And there'll be two distinctly different people, people's nations coming out of you. And, and uh, it's interesting, one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve, serve the younger. Again, like our dinner last night. What a difference we have in kids and personalities and types, you know. And it's funny, I, I, I remember this happened to me as a young man, but when you're young and you're reading the Bible and you're reading your James Dobson or whoever your books are that help you raise kids and everything, and you know everything, and you know everything about Sunday school, and you go in, and you're that 20-year-old that's like, why don't they do this? Why don't they, why don't they, you know, that they're spoiling that kid, and they're doing this to that kid. It's like, yeah, I get a grandparent in there. Somebody's been seasoned, you know, and realize that kids are who they're going to be. And you get the joy of figuring out, training up a child in the way they should go. And his way ain't her way. And you got to figure out each way. And that's the job of parenting. It is not easy, okay? But this is what's going on. You're going to have these two distinct groups. And so, so it says, when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb. That's, God said that's what it was going to be. That's what it was. That's prophecy fulfilled, okay? The Bible is over one-third prophecy. 
God tells the end from the beginning. Before things begin, He tells you how it's going to end. That's what we read in Timothy. You were formed. You were created. You were just the joy of God before time began. He knows you. He knows the end from the beginning. You are prophecy being fulfilled, right? Every time you look in the mirror, wow, look at me. I'm prophecy being fulfilled. We all are, and it's, it's pretty cool that way. So the days were, for her were fulfilled for her birth, to give birth. Indeed, there were twins in her room, and the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over, so they called his name Esau. Esau, translated out of the Hebrew, it means hairy. They called him Harry because he was hairy. And, you know, you might have seen some children that are born endowed with more hair than others, right? And uh, he was one of those, okay? Red all over, maybe a ruddy complexion, maybe it was a red shade of hair, uh, but well, for whatever reason, they named him Harry, okay? And uh, it says, actually, the Hebrew says all of him was like a, a, a robe of hair, okay? So he was uh, one fuzzy little monkey, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Afterward, his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. That's where I get it was 20 years. They're praying and praying for 20 years. Now, Isaac's 60. The babies are born. They've got two boys. One of them they name Harry. The other one they name Jacob, or Literally, that is the supplanter or heel catcher, right? As they're being born, the first one's out, the second one's coming out, and the first thing he does is grab a hold of the brother, right? And that idea of Jacob is supplanter or heel catcher, somebody who would trip up or deceive to gain by advantage, by cunning, by leverage, okay? That's who Jacob is. We're going to follow Jacob through the Scriptures a lot, we're going to see him all the way mentioned in through the New Testament quite often. But that name, Jacob, literally means deceiver, heel catcher, okay? So the boys grew. And Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. Everybody say, ho, ho, ho. I know the girls don't want to do that, right? <laughs> I heard some of you guys, though. Well, that's kind of what's being described here, okay? Esau was a skillful hunter a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man. That's how my King James, New King James Version writes it, a mild man dwelling in tents, okay? Now, the Hebrew in that word for mild man literally is a perfect man, a complete man, the whole package. He wasn't just like a superstar athlete getting all the letterman's jackets or whatever you want to call it, a Conan, the barbarian, or, or whatever kind of guy. Esau was kind of like that, okay? A man's man, okay? Whereas Jacob was a little bit more balanced. You could almost call him more civilized, okay? And one of the things that he's noted for is his culinary skills, okay? He, he was a good cook, and, you know, it's not a bad thing to be able to cook for yourself, guys. <laughs> I know some guys, if their wife is gone, they can't cook a lick. They're going out to the store and, or the restaurant, and it's like, really? I mean, I don't know, top ramen, something. Um, 
So here we go. The boys grew. Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. Completely different personalities, types of guys. And Isaac loved Esau. Okay, that's the word Ahab, and it means that he was very fond of, he was attracted to, he desired, he really, really related to this son Isaac, you know, and that's uh, this son Esau, I should say. Um, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. Man, that, that son of mine, I just, I just love it. And this, again, remember I talked about projecting yourself into your kids, right? And maybe you weren't. I, I use this example because I was not a football star. My dad played for the University of Nebraska several years when they were in their heyday. And I was born, and I, I would have been the football. I wasn't even big enough to make the squad. And so I never could fulfill that wish of his that I could be a football player, right? And, uh, you know, I'm okay with that. I, I did a lot of other wonderful things, and I was blessed. But there is that little bit, sometimes we project our, ourselves onto our kids, and if they don't measure up, somehow we start playing favorites. That's warped. But then that shouldn't surprise us because this is the warp on the loom. It takes Jesus Christ to weave it all together, okay? So we're dealing with warped families. We call them dysfunctional families. But just, just a, a piece of advice if you want. Take it for what it's worth. It's free. I didn't charge you, so... But with your kids, don't play favorites. Don't pick favorites. Don't admit that you might have favorites. You actually might. There might be one of those children that just rocks you back on your heels like, they're so awesome. Keep it to yourself. Don't ever say it. Don't ever. Try to find a place in balance where you find the, the value of every single child. But as a parent, as parents, husband and wife, you should always treat your kids exactly the same. Just you know, zip it, you know, I, if you're following me. I, I see this happen sometimes, and it obviously it's happening right here, and it leads to a mess. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob, you know, and people could say, well, he was a mommy's boy, and, you know, Jacob and Esau was daddy's boy or whatever, that kind of situation going on in here. Some of this, I don't want to read too much into it, but at the same time, we can read what the Scripture says about it, into it. And Paul, writing to the church in Rome, in the book of Romans, in chapter 9, beginning at verse 6, says this, speaking of Esau and Jacob. This is the New Testament commentary on this Old Testament story we're reading this morning. It says, But it's not that the Word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel, who are of Israel. Okay, Israel is the name that Jacob's going to get in a, in a couple chapters here. But not just because they're born of that parentage doesn't make them children of God. Nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time, I will come and Sarah shall have a son. That was a promise we read back a couple chapters. In verse 10 it says, And not only this, but when Rebekah also conceived by one man, even our father Isaac, for the children, not yet being born nor having done any good or evil, 
that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand, not of works, but of him who calls, it was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, and then there's a quote out of Malachi, chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, it says, God says, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Now, this is some chewy stuff, and things in our heart, we're like, how do you reconcile all that? Well, for starters, know that when we talk about love and hate, that's really talking about um, election and acceptance or rejection. And it's not that God hated Esau like we think of hated in an emotional sense, but God foreknew and predestined that Jacob would be the son of promise. He said that to Rachel while the kids were still in her, before they had been born. God already made the prophecy that the younger shall rule over the older. It's a reversal of Deuteronomy 21 and the birthright that's supposed to always come to the firstborn child. But here, God has reversed that. And it's kind of interesting, if you go through the Scriptures, even in what we've read in Genesis, Seth, the son of Noah, not the oldest one, um, was the one that received the blessing. Isaac received the blessing, Jacob received the blessing, Judah received the blessing, David received the blessing, this promise, and none of them were firstborn. So it really doesn't matter who you were born to or in what birth order you were born, what you do have is adoption as children of God by the grace of God because He knew you before the foundations of the world. He chose you. He selected you. You ask, how do I know He chose me or He selected me? Well, have you called on the name of Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? Have you asked Him to forgive you your sins? Have you asked Him to cleanse you of all your wickedness? Have you asked Him to fill you with His Holy Spirit? Have you asked Him that you could be a child of God? If you have, you're His. That's how you know. You asked. And His answer is, amen. That's what I sent my son Jesus Christ for. If you have not asked for the Lord to be your Savior, then keep listening. Okay. Now, verse 29, Jacob cooked a stew and Esau came in from the field and he was weary. Okay. Remember, Jacob's the guy who is, you know, kind of more domestic possibly, more versatile in those areas. And Esau, what does Esau do? He's out in the field. He comes in from the field, and he's tired, he's hungry, he's weary. Verse 30, and Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore, his name was called Edom. I'll just read through it, and then I'll back up on some of these pieces. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I am about to die, so what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, Swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils, and he ate and drank and arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. This is how the, the birthright order and the promise was reversed. God knew this was going to happen before they were even born. 
And that's why it says, Jacob, I have accepted. Jacob, I have elected. Esau, I have hated. Esau, I have rejected. Why did God reject Esau? Because he knew Esau was going to reject God. He also knew that Jacob, the second born, the one that didn't deserve the blessing, was the one that wanted it. And while he wasn't uh, sinless, he had a desire for the things of God and the promise. And so God loved him for that heart that says, I want what you have for me, Lord. Even though I'm not a perfect person, please, I want the blessing. And he got the blessing. We're going to see more of that before the story of these two boys is over. Okay? So Jacob cooked a stew, verse 29, and Esau came in from the field. He was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore, his name was called Edom. So sometimes you'll hear him referred to as Esau. That's what mommy and daddy called him when he was born, a fuzzy little monkey, Esau. And here we see he's nicknamed Edom. The word Edom means red. Okay, it's said up in the earlier parts, maybe his hair color was red and he had a lot of it, but here it's a red bowl of beans, okay, like chili, lentils, and this is what he's wanting to eat. He's so famished, he's so hungry, and so he's nicknamed for the guy that would trade his whole world for a bowl of beans, okay? His name, he's also nicknamed as Red. Now, it's interesting because the descendants of Esau become the Edomites, Edomites, okay? And they would dwell in the area just to the east of Israel in modern-day Jordan. That's where the Edomites would be. And as you start following these descendants of Esau down the line, in the Bible, it takes us all the way up to actually King Herod and the Herods the wicked kings in the time of Jesus Christ that condemned Jesus to death and then started pursuing the apostles and condemning them to death. These are descendants of Esau. They despised the birthright, and they've just been mortal and eternal enemies of Jacob and Jacob's sons for time immemorial. In fact, there's a whole book in the Bible, Obadiah. It's only a couple chapters, but it's all about this family feud that just continues on today in the Middle East. And so they called him Red, Edom, from which the Edomites flow. Verse 31, but Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. So Jacob is living up to his name. He's a heel catcher. I want what you got. He's a deceiver. He's a supplanter. I want to take what's supposed to be yours, and I want it. Now, the motives there you can argue about all day long, but the, the reality is it's something that Jacob valued more than a bowl of beans, and obviously Esau did not. And Esau says, look, I'm about to die, so what is this birthright to me? He doesn't have a lot of care for the things that are being passed down to him from God. And this birthright, as you know, we read about it in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, that Abraham would be the father of many nations, and they would he receive the promised land, and that all those who would bless him would be blessed, and all those who would curse him would be cursed. And this is going to fall on down the line from Abraham to Isaac, now to Jacob, and it goes on through to all who would call on the Lord, that there's a blessing in wanting that birthright. 
verse 33, Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils, and he ate and drank and arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Hebrews chapter 12 kind of fills out just a couple more of the details in here. In verses 12 through 13, speaking about our walk with the Lord and walking by faith and trusting in the promises of God, it says, Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest, and this is interesting, lest there be any fornicator or profane person, godless person like Esau. He's used as an example here. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, because we read it, you know that afterward when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Jesus would say it a different way when he was talking to his disciples. In Luke chapter 9 at verse 23, he says to them, he says to us, then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. I'm famished. What is my inheritance to that? Give me that bowl of beans. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and he himself is destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and his father's and of the holy angels. Are you ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you ashamed of the promises of God? Are you ashamed that our Lord, our Savior, was nailed to a cross and treated spitefully? It was a shameful thing. And to be sure, not only did that happen to Jesus, but Jesus says, you can all expect that you're going to have to go through some of the same suffering and persecution and shame as I did. But there's a promise. There's hope. There's a life eternal. There's great glory and great reward. Don't despise your birthright. You're children of God, you know? And, and we should just live, especially in these days, when the world is swirling about us, storm clouds are just breaking everywhere, wars and rumors of wars and famines and pestilence and distress, and every kind of just crazy thing is happening in the world. <sighs> I'm a child of God. Elect, chosen by God before the foundation of the world, before the beginning of time. God looked at Mike and said, you're my boy. And I said, you're my God. And we're just walking that out. And we need to bring that message to the world. All you need to do is call on the name of Jesus Christ. And you can have that birthright. Do you want it? Would you be willing to trade your bowl of beans 
for glory in heaven? What is it that you're going to have to give up in this life? I can, I can probably pretty much assure you, I know God has spoken to me, we are coming into a season in this world, we're coming into a season in America, we're coming into a time in history where you better be prepared to let go of some of your stuff because they're going to come and take it. So, since these things are happening, what manner of people ought we to be? in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen? These things are happening, but we need to be prepared that if it, it's going to cost me a bowl of beans, you can have the beans. I want Jesus. Okay? I think that's probably where we're going to end today. I didn't purposely decide to end there, but we're going to end. Worship team, come on up. We're going to get into some more warp and woof as we go through the life, the genealogy of Isaac and Jacob and, and what follows after him. And there's going to be a lot of uh, the story as we go through that's going to, um, some of it's going to be uncomfortable. I mean, there's, there's stuff in it. It's just flat embarrassing. And it's hard even to teach. These are chapters a lot of times, if you go to a church where they don't teach chapter by chapter, book by book, they'll skip these chapters because they're not a whole lot of fun <laughs> to teach. <laughs> they're yucky, okay? And yet, God weaves it all together for His glory, for His good. Amen? Lord, I want to thank You so much for this day, for the opportunity You've given us to come together as a family, to hug on each other, to encourage one another, to, to, to share each other's burdens and heart, heartaches, to pray with one another. Lord, I would imagine that you've spoken to each one of us this morning in some way. And I would ask, Lord, that we could find a brother or sister and just let them know. I'm praying for you. I love you. How can I pray for you? And would you pray for me? Knowing that in prayer, we do meet you. And in prayer, we do find answers. And in prayer, we do see you. And we see that hope that's laid out in front of us. Help us to be people like Isaac, like Rebecca, people of prayer. Help us to be people that, not perfect, but people that God has used to bring you into this world. I pray that you would just uh, anoint every single person in this room right now to be vessels of your grace that you would send us out into our community, that you would give us opportunities just to look up and to cause others to wonder, what is it that you have that I don't have? And open up the door for us, Lord, to share your son, Jesus. I pray, Lord Jesus, right now, for the kids down the other end of the room, that they would just be being blessed, the teachers that are blessing them, Lord, and our friends that couldn't make it this morning due to sickness or business or, or whatever, I pray that you would just touch all of us and make us one for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org. 
Join us in person at the Springs in Hebron, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.